Washington, Michael Vincent, the White House, they're having the Supply Chain Disruption Task Force. They right. met today. Sweet. We're going to break down some freight data today. We're going to be talking about all sorts of things. But, you know, I started getting into the biggest show in the world right now is Squid Game, right? Have you seen that one yet? Uh, that's where you play, like, Candyland or Red Rover, Red Rover or something. Sort of. like So people who are deeply in debt, they play a game of death. Not not a game of debt, a game of death, and they Ooh. they if they win this game, they play these childhood games. They yeah, can get yeah, yeah. out of debt by doing so, and you know they seem pretty simple. But uh, this nameless, faceless entity that puts you into it is pretty brutal about dispensing justice when you don't oh, you know finish right? the task. Um, it's a little bit like impeding for container capacity right now between <laughs> shippers. <laughs> there you go. But I gotta ask you, if you had to if you want to play a childhood game to the death, which one would you go with? Oh man, let's dodgeball, man. Dodgeball, dodgeball? for sure. Yeah. Could you dodge a wrench? I can dodge a wrench. Well, uh, so, <laughs> I would go with the first one they picked, which was red light, green light. But I guess it's a little bit more disconcerting. See, I, when I, I, uh, I sucked at red light, red light green light. I, could, yeah, I, my, I couldn't stop my momentum going forward fast enough, man. I, always... I would imagine that. You'd be dead right away. Yeah. All right. Well, be, yeah, for on sure. today's show, we're going to be talking to the CEO and co-founder, Patrick Berglund. We'll get some of the data behind this shipping crisis. We'll find out what's going on in Q4, if rates really are on a big decline, if congestion is on a big decline, or was that just Golden Week? Uh, Ross Kennedy, you might know him as a man integrated on Twitter, or the Huntsman. He's the founder of Fortis Analysis. He's going to bust some supply chain myths and conspiracy theories. You've been hear- hearing a bunch of those. All right. We got Mike Wilson, who's CEO of um, Consolidated Chassis Management. He's going to get us up to speed on what's going on with chassis, the chassis tariffs, just how bad the situation is, and if there's any way out of it, Ryan Schreiber, he's director of carrier engagement, uh, director of engagement over at Carrier Direct. He'll bring us through some of the Freight Tech 100 winners, and we got a bunch of other stuff. But Sweet. before we get there, let's tip the band. Autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start reengineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at, tell them, dude. Hey, man, go to locomation.ai for turnkey solutions immediately after this show. All right, now let's bring up Patrick Berglund, CEO and co founder of. Danetta, as we go inside the news story, <laughs> I like the stinger. Patrick, there you go. A little excitement to wake you up this side. Yeah. Well, for you, it's a little bit later on in the day, is it not? That's true. It's, uh, it's uh, 6 p.m., but it's uh, really nice to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on today. Well, you know, so I'm a little disappointed. Things have not really gotten better in the supply chain since we last spoke uh, a few months ago, last no. quarter. I think maybe they've only gotten worse. Yeah, I would, uh, I would definitely agree to that. It's, it's, uh, it's gotten worse, and... Um, I, we don't see any relief on the horizon, unfortunately. I, I think we, we're still going to be in uh, choppy waters for, you know, the coming months and quarters. Yeah, so what, what, what is the data telling us there, Patrick? I mean, we're looking at the uh, Chinese or golden, golden week, right? Yeah. And some little bit of drop in, in some imports, but uh, not a whole lot, I guess, right? No, I mean, uh, the data in itself is uh, upward trending. I mean, it's flattening a bit. These are marginal sort of uh, movements, to be honest. Uh, and, and whether we reach, you know, a, a peak now is at, the, at this stage, I, I find it almost irrelevant because we're on so elevated levels anyhow. And, and what we're really seeing is uh, these massive players tying in long-term contracts at significantly higher levels, meaning... The spot market has increased for a good period of time now. And of course, the, the long-term market follows suit. But, but we haven't seen 
the full effect of the increases on the short-term market sort of ripple into the long-term yet, but now we're starting to see them, which means that long-term rates with substantial volumes behind them are now secured at a significant uptake from the levels we've seen in 2021. So the 2022 contracts that are being signed at the, at the moment comes with a hefty price increase, meaning that the carriers, the shipping lines, are securing long-term profitability for themselves, not only for the next 12 months, but also for you know two- and three-year contracts. Uh, to be honest, we've heard companies discussing 10-year frame agreements now, which is completely unprecedented uh, in, in the past. Well, they're becoming like athlete contracts now, you know? I just signed on with Maersk for 10 years and a signing bonus of like $30 yeah. million. So I got to ask you, though. So we know how this goes, though. I mean, contracts really aren't worth the paper they're printed on in this space. And a lot of shippers out there looking for revenge. So are they just signing to these contracts now with a wink and a nod? They're trying to get this short-term capacity now, and they have no plan whatsoever to honor these if the market shifts. Well, it's an excellent, excellent uh, statement. And, and yes, that is the historical, uh, let's say, challenge of this industry. And, and, the, and there is still a situation where the trust between the carriers and the customers is, is, has, hasn't gotten any better after what we went through. And, and we know there's a lot of agony uh, on the BCO side. And, and, and some of them flat out says that just wait until the market softens again and, and we'll squeeze them. But... There is also a new one respect for the idea of a supply chain web, right? If you think about it, rather than a chain, think about it as a spider web almost, right? And, and if that breaks, it has significant consequences wherever you are in that web. And I believe there's more willingness to put money into a commitment now than it's been in the past. So to some degree, there is almost like an opportunity of a lifetime to change those old habits uh, this time around. And then it remains to be seen, of course, but there is definitely an increased appetite for that to build more resilience into your supply chains and secure uh, the, the, the supply chains rather than focusing purely on the, the, the rate. So, Patrick, uh, where do charter vessels fit into the future? Does this uh, phenomenon kind of go away or do you see this building? Well, <clears throat> I believe uh, that it's it's not as straightforward as what you can get an impression of from the media. That it, these businesses do, do not have chartering vessels as, as their core business, right? And there are middlemen involved in these instances, as far as I'm aware, uh, as well, where you have somebody operating and, and running these agreements uh, on behalf of some of these companies that have gone out in the media. Mm. And I believe they are temporarily uh, in place in order to try and mitigate some of the consequences that they're exposed to and the risk they have. Uh, the longer this period remains, meaning the longer you have these artificially elevated uh, rate levels, and you can see that from the profit margins of the shipping lines, that they are truly, truly elevated. Uh, the longer those uh, stay, the more uh, permanent anything from multi-sourcing to chartering of vessels or even nearshoring will become. What, what you mentioned the indexes. What are what are the challenges with the freight indexes right now? As you look at them, uh, a lot of the different ones aren't aligning, and I know that's sort of a, a symptom of congestion. But how inaccurate of a picture are are they painting, and what's really going on out there? 
Well, I think they're accurate. What is difficult for most to understand is that there is currently a spread in the market. If you take, uh, let's say, Asia or Far East to, to US West Coast, there is a legit spread from 5, 6K all the way up to 25, even 30K, right? And it really depends on which rate you're looking at. And the, the reason for this is that it's a seller's market, an all-time seller's market. So you kind of get away with what anything you want to do, right? And the reality here is there's boxes moved to big volume players on the lower end of the market. And then you have, let's say, smaller mom and pop shops buying through forwarders uh, or NBOCCs that is paying an absurd premium to get their cargo moved. And the way we've chosen to deal with this challenge is that we've broken it into what we call premium surcharges or prompt shipping fees. So we will have an index, let's say, on uh, 8, 9K, where the rate levels is. But then for certain trades, you will add as much as $10,500 on top of that in order to move the cargo. And now we're talking about the market average. So if you look at the higher end of the market that we publish as well, that will say that maybe 13, 14,000. And if you add 10 and a half on that as the premium surcharges, then you get somewhere completely different. The problem with this, the problem with this is that it portrays a market where it's very hard to identify your own position. Meaning if you're that big volume player, you don't recognize the 25K, right? And if you're the small player, you don't recognize the average of 8K. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, Patrick. Now, we're, we're looking at Golden Week. We're looking at some of the congestion at some of the Chinese Asian ports uh, 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 coming down, right? The congestion's relieving at least a little bit. And uh, I see some inbound TEUs into the United States where the trend out is, is down slightly. What does Q4 look like and what kind of indications do we have for future uh, volumes there? Well, I, th- I think by now there's such a massive focus on this and everybody is trying to do everything they can in order to sort of bring some relief to the situation. The problem, the problem really is the unforeseen events which we've had, you know, whether it's South Vietnam locking down, Yantian or Ningbo shutting down, whether it's uh, any port strikes or whether there's uh, ever given, right? And, And when people think about Q4, my biggest concern is what are the things that probably will happen that we don't foresee? Because it hasn't been a quarter for so long now where there hasn't been like a big surprise that has shifted and uh, things dramatically and created these um, uh, and, and sort of dis- disturbed the, the supply web, right? And this is the problem. So when I think about Q4, I expect something more to happen. If it doesn't, then maybe, maybe we can get a chance to you know, correct a little bit of the the, the tension and the the struggles the ports uh, Mm -hmm. currently uh, are fighting with, especially in the U.S. And and the U.K. too. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of headlines come out of there, and it's so reminiscent of a lot of the challenges that we already faced in the U.S. with um, gasoline panic buying, panic buying of different goods, the whole fallout of, of Brexit. How bad is the situation over in the U.K. right now? Yes, I think uh, you're absolutely right mentioning UK. That what UK has, though, is is um, an opportunity to to lean more into Europe, right? And and not uh, with Brexit in mind. Don't get me wrong, but the connections to get cargo into to uh, UK is 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 better than what you have in the the US. This is one of the things that I think is is slightly different. You can go even even through Ireland. So I believe. 
the situation uh, uh, in in the UK is, is 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 definitely bad, but it's it's worse in my from my point of view with what you're facing in the US. So, Patrick, looking forward into uh, Q1, I guess it is. What do you what do you see on the horizon there for the Chinese news? Well, we think we think that there is a sh- chance that you know 2022 might show some relief as we go through it. But the, the, what we need to remember here is that. Once we will see relief, uh, in meaning if, if we can fix the hinterland connections in, in the US, in UK, for instance, then, then the, the carriers will not allow this market to drop quickly back, right? They, they, it's very clear that this is uh, balancing capacity as an instrument they have that will impact their bottom line. So if, if, if we improve the infrastructure challenges and, and, and get some of the cargo flowing faster, then, then they have a legit um, tool in their toolbox to, to tighten capacity a bit, right? And, and they're not going to do that to, to, you know, make the customer angry or anything like that. They will try to strike the perfect balance that allows them to have a very healthy market for them as a seller. And there's, in reality, three alliances that needs to control this globally. For them to still, for the rates to still remain high, not necessarily elevated as we see today. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a lot to chew on there. It hey, is. Patrick, thanks for uh, all this information as we break down Q4 over there. We really appreciate it. If people want to learn more and connect with Zanetta, where should we send them to? Send them to Zanetta.com. Beautiful. We'll Easy it. enough. Thank there you so you much, Patrick. Zanetta.com. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, like you, you said, it. there's a lot to chew on there. There's so many different aspects going on here, Matt. There is. And when I think about this show and the, and the different guests we have coming mm-hmm. on today, we're going to be hitting on so many aspects of it that that is sort of uh, that And now in thing, it's like one of the episodes you may want to like pause and come back to because now we're going to tackle the chassis problem. We're yeah. talking to Mike Wilson. He's the CEO over a consolidated chassis management. And he, you know, this is a big cog. We talked to the port trucker, right? Geo Mars sure. on Monday on the yep. show. And he was talking about the big issues with chassis. Now, the chassis pools are already empty. And this is one of the big complaints. You know, everyone's, you know, you're, everyone's stop just pointing out the ships out there. What about the chassis on the ground? Well, we'll find out what's going on with that. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. So supply chain, the talk of the town is, you know, this first time in my life you've really heard so many, except for like TP and, but I mean, during this pandemic, supply yeah. chain has been front page news for so much of it. And it's such a strange thing to hear, you know, someone on the mainstream news talk about chassis, for example, but a major problem right now, what is going on with chassis and why is it such a big deal? I think chassis are very much like any other asset group that we're seeing stressed at this point in time. There's a, there's a heavy cargo flow, as we know. Volumes from 2020 versus 2021 uh, uh, are up over 15%, and in some places it's even higher. So the cargo volume is up, and then uh, the actual asset base, whether it's trucks, terminal space, warehouses, and chassis, all of them are being stressed beyond you know, what they're originally designed for. Yeah, exactly. And, and Mike, welcome to the show, by the way. So, you know, we talk about the, the container shortage or being in the wrong place and most of them built in China. Where do chassis come from? Are, are they built in the United States or are they coming from overseas as well? They're primarily built in the United States. There are some companies that import uh, component structures from overseas, be it China, be it Europe, be it, uh, be it Southeast Asia, and they build the chassis here in the United States. But primarily, most chassis are built here now. Some are built in Mexico. So a lot of people have been asking, well, why don't we just make more? So what's the bottleneck there with, with getting carriers more chassis? So why can't they just make more and bring them to the port? Yeah, we've had, we've had a bottleneck not only in, in the assets on the ground, but also on the production side. 
in the United States. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the the countervailing duties that were applied to chassis being imported from China mm-hmm. or component parts that were being imported from China. But that slowed down production. And unfortunately, the the domestic manufacturers weren't, weren't able to close that gap. So the supply from the production facilities hasn't kept up with the demand as as the fall down from the uh, from the CVDs or countervailing duties took effect. So we were still struggling to get more chassis in the system. We believe that will be corrected in 2022, but it's a little bit late as we can see. Yeah, it certainly is. And so, so Mike, that would uh, more than imply that there is a chassis shortage and it's not uh, underutilization or inefficiencies, I should, I should say, in the movement of those chassis. Would that, is that your, uh, your take on it? I think that's a component uh, in terms of supply. I, I think if we had the supply, we would still see the same dynamic input or effects on the fleet. So right now, for example, typical turn time of a chassis in the markets that we're concentrated in, which is the South Atlantic, was about five or six days of the chassis being on the street, turned, and then the chassis would be returned. Today, we're up over 14 days. So there's a significant increase in the dwell time of the chassis off terminal, which which sucks up a lot of the excess capacity. So the, the challenge is trying to find out what's affecting that turn time and maybe making a change to, to improve it a bit. And to be honest, most of those chassis are sitting under containers parked at distribution centers or warehouses at the at the cargo owners facilities. So what is the I mean, there, it's a supply chain. So there's numerous reasons for a lot of these delays. But what is the because every trade operator we talk to, Michael Vincent, they all say the same thing. They're like, well, we have chassis. The problem is there's a bunch of empties sitting on it. And then yeah. we can't get rid of the empties because the, the gate in time for the ports don't really work. And also the truck drivers, um, their their trips are kind of asymmetrical. They're either dispatched to go directly to the port. They don't have a chassis to bring with them. And I know some are instituting, you know, bring a chassis in to bring something out policies. But I mean, what is the, the real problem here? Well, I think if you follow the supply chain to its logical endpoint, which is the distribution center, we can see that uh, the, the, the outlet or the retail side of things, whether it's the store shelves or the consumers, you know, we all expect uh, our deliveries or did expect our deliveries in two to four days. Now we're getting deliveries in two to four weeks. So that has been a problem. It's a, getting the cargo out of the actual facilities to the end consumer, whether it's to our homes or on the store shelves. We've all seen products missing off of store shelves. So I think the problem is between the distribution center getting the cargo out into this final consumption so it makes space for the cargo upstream to come into the facilities and improve the overall supply chain. So the challenge right now, I believe, is from the DC to the consumption end and how we can affect a better performance there. And a lot of people are talking about labor being the problem, uh, not available labor to work in the D.C.s, to work in the warehouses and to work behind behind the wheels and trucks, whether they're box truck deliveries or, or drage trucks. So, so Mike, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit confused here. And, and Duner, I know that comes as a big shock to you because I'm, I'm never confused. But when we're talking about the chassis and you talk about you show up without a chassis or you got to bring a chassis you're sitting there, how does that actually work when a drage is coming in to make a pickup there? Uh, sometimes you're required to have one, some not, some they get a pool chassis from inside. How, how does that actually work? Lay it out for them. Yeah, some terminals have a pool, a pool of chassis sitting on the facility if they're available. In today's conditions, most don't have a lot of chassis sitting around doing nothing. They're out being deployed under containers. So what a lot of terminals have done, they said, look, and if you're going to come in here with 
uh, looking to pick up a box, you're going to have to come in with the chassis because we don't have any on reserve sitting in the chassis yard. So show up with a chassis, whether it's got a box on it or not. And I heard you say earlier, some terminals are uh, not accepting empties. I think most are because the empties need to get back to the origin in order to bring more cargo in. So I think most lines are looking to move empties out. So if you show up with a chassis, you have a much better chance of turning through the terminal than if you don't show up with a chassis and you're just going to be waiting around for one to show up or to become available through through repair or some other cycle. Well, I mean, what you're saying makes sense, but the Dre mm -hmm. drivers we've talked to, the Dre companies we've talked to, mm -hmm. said, you know, you would think that bringing empties back, it would make sense because they have to get those back overseas, but they're not sending the same boats that pick up the empties over here to to take them away, and they're having much bigger challenges than they normally would bringing these uh, container backs. Now, would something like drop lots for, for chassis work, and would that create uh, its own set of issues due to the strange nature of ownership and the way that's delved out in the chassis market? I think you see a lot of drop lots taking place today where uh, tr truckers or, or, or dray drivers pick up the container from the terminal and they put it in a drop lot for the customer because the customer can't accept it. But that's part of the problem because the chassis are all sitting off terminal under boxes. They're not moving. The only way a chassis is efficient is when it's moving. So the problem is drop lots help to get the cargo off the terminal but it doesn't keep the chassis. Yeah, I, I wonder, Mike, if part of the issue is, isn't that, uh, you know, the, the ports are trying to free up real estate for imports by getting rid of empties, and therefore they don't like the empties coming back at the equal pace, right? Okay. Is that part of the problem, you think? I think if you think about how, how the shipping networks work, when they're taking boxes off that are fully loaded and the ship is fully loaded, that ship has to go back to where it came from. And if it goes back without empties, they're not going to be able to get more cargo with the other end. So I think that most lines are looking to evacuate empties. Most terminals are looking to evacuate empties. So I think that the, the concept of not accepting empties may be more acute in certain terminals at certain mm. times than it is as far as a sort of a, a generic uh, problem. Now, with lots with uh, people keep bringing up the National Guard, with lots with the National Guard removing and all they do is sit there and remove uh, empty containers from chassis to free those up. Would something like that in, near the port of Los Angeles help expedite things? I think everyone here is kind of just looking for solutions instead of just being like, well, this is the way it's done, because right now we're in such a uh, we're in such a bind. Yeah, I think additional off terminal capacity to allow the ships to come in and discharge more makes good sense. And that's what these uh, grounded yards, these grounded load yards would do. You have to have the equipment in place. You have to have the infrastructure as far as the ground is concerned. You can't stack two or three 40,000 pound containers on top of one another in basic dirt. They'll just sink into the mud. So you have to have some investment in the property. You have to have some investment in the machinery. And that would add capacity to allow for the chassis to be freed up to go in and get more boxes. But the question comes back, what's the root cause here? The cargo is not getting out of the DCs to its final consumption. That's yeah. where we have to try to figure out how to unclog the pipe. Yeah, it, it makes sense. It almost sounds to me, Dooner, that uh, what you're suggesting, and I think you, you're probably spot on, is that we're trying to put in and out through the same valve. Sure. And we got to figure out a way to separate those seems to be the right answer. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big challenge. Well, I, Mike, any prediction on when we'll, we're going to get out of this and uh, we're going to see more chassis freed up? Yeah, I, I'd, be, I'd be able to retire tomorrow if I had that answer, <laughs> but I think you're there a lot from uh, a lot of the participants in the supply chain that we should see something ease up in mid-22. I kind of believe that as well, depending upon how consumption habits and the return to work from, from the pandemic 
has its effect because I think that's one of the components that has caused us to slow down a bit, the lack of labor coming back into the workforce at all areas of the supply chain. And I yeah. think that once we're able to bring people back, we'll start to see a bit of a, a bit of a breakup of the blockage. Yeah. Hey, Mike, thanks. Thanks for your insights into thanks, uh, into what's going on there. And as you mentioned, it's, it's just one kink in the supply chain. But like so many of these other areas kink, are <laughs> are backed up. I know. And each person we talk to, they kind of have a different idea of where exactly that is. Some are blaming the ports. Some are blaming that you can't bring the chassis in. Other people are saying, hey, there's plenty of chassis or just containers. All the DC. Everyone kind of agrees that it's labor. There's so much going on. The next gentleman we're going to talk to now, though, you might know him on Twitter as the Huntsman. You may know him as Ross Kennedy, the founder of Fortis Analysis. But he just just put a podcast out uh, earlier this week, and he was really big on that idea of using um, these yards to get just get containers off chassis and get them moving, and just and and finding solutions that make this make this flow of cargo yeah. actually start to push through and function like it should. Ross, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Hey, man, happy to be here. I appreciate it. This is uh, one of those topics. I know you write a newsletter. I write a newsletter that every time like you're like, okay, I'm going to simply explain what's going on in supply. Like all of a sudden, like the pages in the Google Doc just keep getting longer and longer and you're editing back up. It's, it's been a tough <laughs> – and every time you speak to someone new, it's like, man, I think I know less than I did before I started having this conversation. Ross, tell us a little bit about where you sit in the supply chain and what you're seeing right now. So my day-to-day -day is uh, in a couple ways. Um, you know, I'm, I'm – uh, partner or in some way a stakeholder in numerous different companies that are uh, involved directly or indirectly in different parts of the supply chain world. Uh, I'm also a freight forwarder, right? I uh, work in the sales side, uh, done the operations piece, done the customs piece, uh, have been on 3PL. So I, I've got a whole, and I've been a BCO on the export and the import side. So I understand at a pretty granular level, the operational constraints at each node and, and, and like everybody else, man, it's, it's, there's not, there's not a perfect solution to this. You know, the, the term that I use a lot is a catastrophic failure cascade where, um, at this point, a root cause analysis would show us that it's anything and everything is the problem. And we're now in this domain of having to, we're, you know, the patient's bleeding out. We're just trying to do some triage right now. Uh, everybody's trying to scramble uh, to come up with a solution. And a big part of the issue is, is just like we got to this point, every stakeholder or every node in the supply chain from, from origin, say, in China uh, or Taiwan, uh, all the way through to the retail consumer at the final mile, everybody's got their own little vested interest in making sure that the cuts don't go too deep onto them in trying to address these challenges. So we end up in a situation where everybody taking a lot of pain for a short period of time is, is probably the optimal approach, but it's certainly not the desirable one for everybody that has to take the pain. Yeah. So Ross, it sounds like you've got a good view of all the different pieces, parts that are going on here. Maybe we can get to some actual, I mean, not that discussions haven't been good, but uh, it's a good view. Let's put it this way. Your perspective is very good. When we talk about these chassis drop lots, uh, is it a case that it's just too congested, too hard to move these, uh, move or to move the, the empties in and out of the same exact valve like we were discussing earlier? I mean, I get the point that, yes, the terminals want to evacuate the empties. Everybody wants the empties back to bring in more imports, but it's going through the same mechanism. Is that the issue that it's just clogging up those wheels? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that is solving that. So you've got two things happening simultaneously. One. The, the ability to get things in and out of the port, the operations of the imports or the export empties or the export loads 
uh, are, are definitely playing havoc with one another because the imports can't come out until the empties return off the streets with the chassis. And so it's a situation where everything that's happening there, it's all zero sum. Anything you can do to increase the efficiency of one is probably going to decrease the efficiency of the other right. because we have this more or less round trip model on the drainage side. You also have the issue at the distribution centers where not all of them are working 24 hours, labor constraints. You know, obviously that's a big thing we've all talked about now for, for since really the pandemic began and we went into lockdowns. And, and so they're not, they're not recovering or able to push their empties back out onto the streets as fast as possible. And a, a third challenge is just geography and traffic. A drayman who's going to be trying, he's going to sit and wait for two or three hours if he hits his appointment to get into one of the terminals may end up having to take that thing 80 or 90 miles across one of the most congested metropolitan areas we have right. in the United right. States, really in right. North America, and, and then try to get all the way back. And maybe he's going to get one full turn done a day. <laughs> uh, that's just not a very efficient way to deal with it. Now, does the so the White House today, they met with the Supply Chain Disruptions Task Force, which is a very aptly named government group. Never anything like really clever, right? It's always just... Yeah, they're going to cause way more disruption <laughs> before it's all done. <laughs> well, they are. Well, here's the thing. Here's the outcome of this meeting, though. So they're talking about opening 24-7 operations over at Long Beach, Los Angeles. So far, been a big bug hunt, to quote a line from Vasquez and Aliens. Um, no, nobody's really been using it. It's been confusing. So they finally put together this supply chain disruption task force. They met. They did what they did. They invited the big players. They got the Walmarts, UPS, FedEx was here, Samsung, Home Depot, Target. They all said, okay, great. We will try to utilize 24-7 operations, and we'll try to pick up at least 10% more cargo around amounting to 3,500 TUs through the year. Do you, so, but this is kind of what you mentioned here. All these different intermediaries and different stakeholders, and they have different interests and different points in the supply chain. Do you think that this task force, because you did, you made a, you kind of were like, nah, they're going to disrupt more things. Do you think that this is a bad thing that they should be talking to retailers? Uh, to the extent that the retailers' interests are now are, are now aligned with the political interests of of the various stakeholders. The, the retailers need to be doing these things because it's the right thing to do for their own operations. At the same time, you're talking about a drop in the bucket, right? Okay, an additional 3,500 containers a week is is really fantastic. But what do we do about the fact that these port complexes are moving <laughs> millions Ross, of TPUs? Ross, it's worse than that. It's only for the entire year. It's, it's 3,500 for the, the year. entire year with these <laughs> 24 seven hours. That's what they said. If we get these six superpowers combined, we could move at least 3,500 more TUs for the for the rest of the year. So half a ship. Okay, great. Uh, what are we going to well, do about the half a, half a small, half a small ship too. <laughs> yeah. It's not even a yeah. very big ship. Yeah. Half a yeah, pre Panamax vessel. Yeah, half of a uh, you know half of one of the uh, Maersk E classes, not one of yeah. the you know not one of the newer. Guys. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> Whew, there's well, some. I really, mean, the one thing they didn't um, mention, they didn't mention the National Guard, Ross. You think the National Guard could help here? Yeah, the National Guard. Um, you're talking about a really highly, you know, I would say disciplined. Uh, labor pool that is designed to conduct, uh, they're trained to conduct very difficult logistical tasks in a really short period of time. Mm -hmm. There's a huge amount of uh, trust that we place in these guys when, when they're operating and doing their things, you know, whether it's here in the United States, when they deploy during humanitarian crises, or when they deploy overseas, they're operating, they're used to operating with very little margin of error and a whole lot of uncertainty and, and need for speed. They can drive, they can drive trucks, they can pull trailers. And that was why that was really one of the features of my plan was that the need to activate the NIMS protocol so that Newsom as governor could not only stand up the National Guard and, and sort of treat them as a humanitarian relief force, but also request the federal government and other state governments to send in qualified 
transportation operators that are not currently part of the available labor pool for the trucking, as well as the assets that come with them, the various tractors, the various power units that can pull, potentially pull empties. And so what you've got now is with with the way I propose to do it is we don't have to worry about popping the empty and the chassis and separating them outside the port because now you get into the constraint of how many tailors are actually out there. How many of these container, you know, reach stackers are actually out there that can do lifts. There's probably not very many of them available. They're going to be all over the United States operating in depots and terminals and rail ramps. So let's just turn the containers as fast as possible off the street. You double or even triple the driver pool by activating the National Guard uh, and bringing in as many power units as you possibly can to recover empties from the DCs, get them back into the port, free the chassis up for the outbound legs. But importantly, you're also increasing the pool of trained, qualified, experienced draymen that are dealing with the, 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 the complexity, really, uh, of being a modern drayman operating inside one of our ports, particularly Los Angeles and Long Beach, with all the little ways they have to operate. We don't need to have the National Guardsmen do that. Let's just have them drag empties back as fast as they possibly can, bobtail back, get more, and allow the drayman to do what they do, which is going to be safely move those loads from port to the distribution centers. It doesn't sound like a bad plan, Ross, but when you're going through this plan to do this, um, should we be looking at uh, what is the long-term fix as well as going through a plan to clean up what is going right now? Because if we clean up right now, we're just going to do this stupidity again, right? We're going to react. Eventually, it's going to happen again at some point. How do we prevent that? Yeah, absolutely. And and so that was one of the things that that as I was you know, sitting there scratching notes out and, and, you know, my notebook looks like, you know, something from is always sunny in Philadelphia. It's just like mm-hmm. different colors everywhere and it's just total chaos. And the, the, the reason for that too is, is what do we do when we get, like you said, from, we get from here where we're at, we're at crisis point, we're trying to get away from chaos and reduce it down to just pretty complex or even complicated, but more or less back to a normal flow where it becomes somewhat predictable. But how do we utilize this time to also transition to a model that maybe is a little bit better. Uh, the uh, a gentleman who is a president and CEO of one of the major terminals out on the East Coast reached out to me after I released my podcast and said, hey, I have an idea. And I think it's a really good idea. And that's moving more towards a Keelung model like they have in Keelung, Taiwan, where containers are not able to sit on dock for more than 48 hours coming or going. It's a very high throughput operation at the water's edge to get onto and off of the ships. And what they do is they do u- utilize a series of inland points uh, off dock where the container management is actually handled. So if you do this in such a way where you build a model where you've got a network of off-dock resources that are managed by the ports, managed by the terminals, interconnected, they're not depots that are being managed by independent truckers or draymen or whatever it may be. They're a coordinated network of, of lots where relief valve type work can be done. Distribution centers have a shorter distance to return containers to, and then you could be shuttling those containers to and from the port as you need to through this interconnected network. So you, you create the guts or the bare bones of that type of system, get people familiar with it operationally, you're troubleshooting in real time, you're failing forward. Yeah, it's painful, but what you get to at the end of it is a more rational, workable model than congesting everything down to 13 terminals at the water's edge, all within a couple miles of each other and one or two major highways to get stuff in and out. Now, Ross, anytime something makes it into the mainstream headlines, the mainstream 
news fear gets popular on Twitter, conspiracy theories abound and, and hot takes <laughs> abound. And I, I mean, I've heard I've heard a number of the more popular ones seem to be like it's either Joe Biden's fault. He's trying to bring in socialism and make everybody dependent on the government by not allowing mm-hmm. boats to enter. The boats are in supposedly in a holding pattern. Uh, uh, it's the end. And when you say, well, it's happening on a global level, they'll say, well, yeah, there's a that's the NWO. It's, you know, Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan and Scott Hall is responsible for all this. So you never really do, do you have do you have a pet conspiracy theory? Do you think there's any validity to these conspiracy theories? I think uh, I don't think it's conspiracy uh, so much as I just think it's malignant stupidity mm. uh, and lack of any sort of subject matter expertise and stakeholders at the table making these decisions. Most of these jobs that are responsible for regulatory oversight, most of these uh, positions that are uh, supposed to really understand these things at a granular level, they're political appointees. Very few of them come with any sort of real tangible expertise in the industry. And so you have a lot of people that are making political decisions for political reasons, not for practical, pragmatic, on-the-ground reasons. Would I call that a conspiracy? No, I would call that business as usual. And in a very complex system like a globalized supply chain, business as usual always ends up in chaos and collapse. It's just fundamentally the way it is. And uh, from a conspiracy standpoint, I guided, directed, organized, World Economic you know, Forum, Klaus Schwab and all that, now, I don't really subscribe to that, but what I do subscribe to is, is that the more you tightly interconnect and interlock the interests of the elites to one another and decouple them from the economic activity or the uh, ability of the average person to influence as a consumer on a political basis, the more you remove those restraints from the elites, the more you are going to see the CEOs of big companies and the CEOs of big tech and the CEOs of big whatever align with governments, align with their own financial and political and power interests to perpetuate their own little systems of power. Coordinated conspiracy? No, definitely human nature and definitely something that happens when you see a a political overclass and a financial overclass begin to separate and distance itself from the people that they supposedly exist to help. Yeah, no, mm. fair, fair enough words. I, I, and you know, great can, assessment. And I love malignant I, stupidity. I love that. Of course, term. you can't attribute malice to malignant stupidity. The malice comes after the fact. The malice is just the human nature. Everybody exploiting yeah, a situation, exactly. as you're seeing with the steamship lines. There's only three of them. Is a conspiracy that they're keeping rates at a certain level? I think yeah. you could maybe argue it is. So sure. to say it's not completely a conspiracy, maybe it's not sure, but a global conspiracy between there's, everybody in the supply chain. Is there such a thing as accidental conspiracy? I think that there could be. Yeah. If not, there or is opportunistic now. opportunistic or something. Well, Ross, before we let you go and get, get your plugs, we got to mm-hmm. give you our stupid question of the day. Now, if you had to play a child's game, your life is on the line, a child's game to the death, which which game would you play? Red Rover. Red Rover. Ooh, Red Rover. Red Rover. I went with Dodgeball. Are you particularly good at Red Rover? No, but I'm not particularly good at Dodgeball. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. <laughs> there you fair go. Enough. Well, <laughs> smart man. Ross, how do, people, how do people listen to that podcast you mentioned, and how do they subscribe to your newsletter? Yeah, so my, uh, it's, it's all done uh, via Substack. It's uh, fortisanalysis.substack.com. Uh, I do, and that's Fortis, F-O-R-T-I-S. Uh, if you want to know how to spell that and, and you can't remember, it's on John Wick's back when he takes a shower in the first film. Um, or check the, the show notes. I'll, I'll, link, I'll link to it if you don't want to watch John, <laughs> check the, the show notes, right? John Wick. Or, or, or watch John Wick take showers. Yeah. Um, and then I do I do cross post the podcast to Apple Podcast and to uh, Spotify as well. Um, just kind of building this thing. It's it's a one man band right now, but uh, you know certainly the 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 timing of the the timing of the moment couldn't be better for you know to, to be able to kind of try to 
you know, I, you know, I use the term freight splain in a post, uh, you know, re- replying to Craig Fuller about something and, you know, he seemed to like that. So yeah, the, the moment is here for, for the freight splainers of the world. Wow. Nice. Well, hey, Love thanks it. Ross. Thanks for, uh, for joining us. Now our next guest, I was seeing in the preview, he was like frantically looking for John Wick to fast forward through it to see if he could spell <laughs> Fortis. It's Ryan Schreiber. Ryan, uh, if, can you take a moment away from the matrix to join us up here right now? I certainly try. But I, you're you're right. I was feverishly trying to look up the John Wick uh, scene. I mean, who doesn't want to see Keanu Reeves in the shower for like a couple minutes, right? I mean, <laughs> oh wait, hold on, Ryan. Hold on, hold on. That's hold on. not we're weird. Like, oh, Ryan, oh just, wait, yeah, we've got to. Ryan, do be a, quiet. We have to. We have to mention ad. our sponsors here for a second. We forgot to do that. Go die. Hold your on, beer. Okay. we'll something. get right back to you. With more than fifteen hundred maintenance bays offering light mechanical services and DOT inspections, Love Truck Care and Speedco are invested in getting your drivers back on the road quickly and safely. Learn more at Tell Them, dude. Hey, go to loves.com right after the show. Hate your CPAP? I do. I do. I uh, headgear and claustrophobia are the number one reason CPAP users are not compliant, putting your CDL and your job at risk. If you haven't tried DreamPort by Bleep, you need to. Here it is. DreamPort is the only clinically proven leak-free solution. No messy face. Only product made in the USA. Not stuck at the port. Only headgear-free solution. Not waking up with bedhead. Ryan doesn't have that problem. No headgear, nothing in the nose. Look great and sleep comfortably. Covered by all insurance, fits all machines. Better bleep and sleep to help you keep your CDL. Visit, tell them, dude. Hey, go to bleepsleep.com to find out why Dreamport is rated number one and how you can prevent forest fires. Thank (laughs) thank you for the segue. Speaking of rated number one, this man is a judge. He's going to be rating the Freight Tech 100. Ryan, what is the Freight Tech 100 and why are you qualified to be a judge for it? makes you king i mean you're mean i am oh. totally unqualified i i'm totally unqualified <laughs> to be a judge i guess i am kind of mean yeah like i'm i'm really good at just talking about things that i don't like uh <laughs> as everyone has probably you know anybody who follows me on social media sees my festivist meme every year about how i have problems with everybody and you're gonna hear about it but yeah i mean the freight tech 100 super excited <laughs> about uh being a judge this year um, really grateful that Carrier Direct is, uh, you know, in the top 100 again for the one of the only only of 30 companies that have been on the um, top 100 every year. Um, but but this year, looking forward to being a voter um, and helping to kind of call out the top 25 companies um, that are really kind of transforming uh, freight tech uh, through technology. You know, past winners of Amazon, Tesla, uh, JB Hunt are up in the top 25. So. Um, it definitely is just kind of highlighting where we're going as an industry. And this year, it's tougher than ever going through that list of, of the top 100 because there's just been so much investment in our space, so much innovation. It's really an exciting time. So thanks for, thanks, thanks for having me be a voter, Dooner. <laughs> I have I nothing to do with it. You should tell me why. <laughs> so Ryan, Ryan, yeah, Ryan. You should Ryan. tell me why I'm, I, I'm a voter. Go ahead. <laughs> Ask Ryan. Kevin Hill. I have no idea. I voted against you being a voter. <laughs> yeah, well, you too. asked me. I, what do I know? <laughs> yeah, we'll talk to Kevin. So Ryan, other than uh, people having to, uh, you know, uh, you know, challenge you to feats of strength in order to get your vote. What are, what are you looking at? It. Uh, what are you looking for? What's your what's your what's your what do you see as sexy right, to vote for? Yeah, that's a great question. So you know, on my ballot, certainly what I was looking for is companies that are really trying to build the future. Um, you know, there's a lot of companies doing really interesting things um, and that are building, like kind of rebuilding their businesses as incumbent players to to change the game. But I was looking for whether they're incumbent players or they are, um, you know, kind of 
uh, startups or uh, businesses that are scaling, uh, who is deconstructing the way that freight has been moved, uh, the way that drivers and carriers and brokers, you know, interact, uh, the way that trucking companies operate, uh, the way that trucks operate even. So I was really looking for the companies who weren't trying to maybe uh, incrementally improve, even though that's important and interesting, looking for the ones who said, we're making some really big bets in smart ways to build the future. Mm, nice. And Care Direct nice, is one nice. of those, shameless plug. Well, Ryan, let's talk about the present instead of the future. How much do you current factors weigh into your voting. So you look at the, the the crisis and, you know, there's actually been, some people have turned their their aim at optimization. They're saying, hey, optimization is the, the, sure. the reason for all this. Maybe all this tech we were promised. Well, what good did it, what good did it do for us? So where does that leave you as, as a voter? Does that color your impression of, uh, of all this stuff? I think it's important to always be kind of reviewing your biases, your beliefs, um, where you think the ball is headed as you get more information, but to also try and look downrange and not be caught up with where we are today. So I definitely think there were opportunities within the list of the top 100 to look at companies a little bit differently than we had in the past because of current events, but not to over-rotate for current events either, uh, that things are going to be uh, you know, continuing to change over the next several years at least. Uh, and so I think there was an opportunity to look at those companies a little bit differently, and uh, but, but not over-indexed for today. So, Ryan, uh, a mix between, uh, let's say, uh, disruption and purpose, right? Amount of destruction or teardown or amount of change versus purpose of what it is. How do those weigh in, in, in your opinion? What's that percentage in your mind? That's a great question, dude. I, for me, I think the one thing that I really look for is uh, I describe it as companies that are um, not betting on people to necessarily change their behavior, but looking for ways to fit within existing workflows, but still drive transformational improvement. I really struggle with the term disruption because that's a bad thing for business, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's a bad thing for business. Um, and I certainly understand the purpose of the term, you know, broadly, but you don't want users to be disrupted. You don't want your customers to be disrupted. Look, and I, so, cowbell for that. I'm giving you the world's biggest cow. That's what I yell all the time. Like, what a crappy marketing term in supply chain disruption. Disruption is what we're going through right now, Ryan. And yeah, it sucks. Exactly. 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 So how exactly. I, I look for companies, I look for companies, whether I'm voting for this or whether I'm an advisor or you know, whatever it might be that I'm doing, I look for companies and I ask myself, how do they fit in with the way that things are going today? And how are they going to easily integrate without disrupting the workflows, but still drive transformational improvement, dude? That's what I look for, brother. Well, Excellent. hold on a second. Let's find out how he weighs things then. That was a big component of your answer right there. On yeah. Monday Night Football, Michelle Tafoya said the Bills were eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches during the delay of game that was going on. Oh, I'm glad you brought and this up. And she said something very controversial. She said that the ratio of the Bills sandwiches was 70% jelly to only 30% peanut butter. Now i got to ask you, Ryan, what is your ratio of peanut butter to jelly on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? This is a great question. The ratio is 100 to 100. Exponential growth in both the amount of peanut butter and the amount of jelly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if they're not Two, growing you can never have enough of uh, you can't have enough of either one. Bread, bread choice, choice of bread. 
I mean, you could just just squeeze the you know the jelly in your mouth and just <laughs> oh, like have a low carb. That's maybe my preference. Kind You're of low thing, carb, going low carb. The biggest thing standing yeah, in the way I mean, would be the me, Obviously, like I definitely have to keep my carbs down. <laughs> yeah, and you're no, doing I, a great job of it. I like. Uh, have you hey, been in hey, management? Be- <laughs> have you been in management before? I like that you're willing to give you know fifty percent or a hundred percent to each side. To you could be a politician. You want to placate both sides of the bread, or even get rid of the bread entirely. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Hey, we're only limited by our imagination, Duner. If we're limited to a hundred percent, that's just our imagination being limited, right? Yeah. Hey, well, so you probably don't want to play your hand right now, but before we let you go, who is going to win the Freytech 100? Well, I'm obviously sort of, I have a personal bias toward Carrier Direct. I think that uh, we uh, have really empowered some really incredible companies to, to do incredible things, including, you know, many of the companies All that right, will end up. Get over yourself, Ryan. That's, get, give me the answer here. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I would really like to see some new companies in the top five. I think that I would really love to see some companies that, you know, maybe aren't as much household names. Uh, Amazon does great things. Tesla does great things. But uh, what are some of the companies that are really forward thinking? I'd like to see some new names in the top five is what I would say. That's a smart say. I like what you say, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Go check out Ryan Schreiber on the interwebs or check out Carry Direct, who, I don't know, he sounds really biased. He may be voting them for them for the Freight Tech 100. It looks like he's trying to say one last thing. What is it? Donate. Uh, check out online uh, Kaylee and uh, the dude dyeing their hair blue for the St. Christopher's Fund for F3. I just want to shout that out. It's a great cause. I donated yesterday. Check out on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, where you can donate, but definitely support the goal. Trying to get everybody to 10K by uh, by F3. Hey, are we dyeing the beard blue if we get there? Are you going to dye your beard blue? If we get to tw- if we get to 20K, I'll dye my blue my beard blue. All right, right the on. blue meanie coming at you. Let's get to 20K, people. Go go check out that yeah, thing. So Thank you so much, Ryan. Excellent right. stuff. Little big deal, little deal. Let's we'll get do out it, of man. here. Big deal. Little deal. Okay, so we kind of touched on this. The uh, this isn't really this is just some news for you guys because this just kind of happened. White White. Well, I'll ask you if it's a big deal. White House's supply chain disruption task force. They met today for what's going on with all these supply chain bottlenecks. Yeah. But basically, the end result so far was that the nation's largest retailer, Walmart, is committing to increase its use of nighttime hours significantly and projects they could increase throughput by as much as 50%. UPS is committing to this. They say that they can move 20% more containers than they have. They've moved zero, so I'm not in math. 20 times zero is still zero. Hopefully, they, they mean that. <laughs> they will do better than currently. <laughs> FedEx is committing uh, to double the, the cargo they can move from ports at night. Samsung is committing to move 60% more containers out of these ports by operating 24-7 through the next 90 days. Uh, Home Depot is committing to move a 10% additional. Target says it's going to move 50% of its containers at night. It's committed to increase that amount by 10% during the next 90 days. Across these six companies, though, 3,500 additional containers per week. Big deal, little deal. Uh, well, uh, I'm almost hoping that it's going to be a little deal and they don't have too much of an effect on this because they tend to screw things up when they get involved yeah. with this. I think it's a little deal also because a lot of those people there don't, uh, have their, they, they don't, they're not driving trucks in there to get it. 3,500 additional containers. It sounds like nothing. I hope that's the wrong quote. That's no, 3,500 a week is what I think it says, right? Per, per week we'll move. Oh, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Well, not per year, that's per still week. not a ton. That's okay. still not a ton in a week. Okay, well, that's that's better than I thought. Not, it's better than per year. It's still you know, half a boat a week. We'll yeah, it's better than pace. nothing. But it's better than what? Can't hate on it. I think it's funny, no. though, when the White House 
writes these things out, one of the things they wrote was like, the, the leading line was, this will help U.S. exporters. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. there's so many of those. Sure. Well, yeah. It's yeah. not all imports. Well, all right. Yeah. Tesla Megachargers. Take a look at these. Tesla Megachargers. These are for Tesla Semis. They are, were spotted at Giga Berlin by Sawyer Merritt on uh, on Twitter. What do you think? Big deal, little deal. Finally seeing maybe uh, the shadow of the Tesla Semi. I think it's cool that we're seeing these things. I think ultimately right now it's a it's a little deal because they're still, you know, going to they're concentrating on the Model Y and the Cybertruck and stuff before they go to these yeah. things. Um, I think it's a great move, though. I mean, as, as people are talking about this it is, you know, and Steve Sawyer Merritt is talking yeah. about this. This will move between the two giga plants, right? Fremont and Nevada and test out the semis and run this stuff. Yeah. So I think it's a great idea. Gotta, little well, deal right a now. semi wouldn't be coming without those. So yeah, it's a yeah. step in, in yeah. that direction. Step in the right direction, but kind of a little deal right now. What do you got? So let's check this thing out here. We've got a little oh, yeah. thing here about, uh, watch this let's coil. Watch this now this video. is one of the things that I fear the most. A coil rolls off the back of a semi in Kansas City, my friend. It rolls down the street here. Busts through the back doors of this thing and you'll see it at the end of this video here. You'll see that it busted through the back doors of a van. A van truck. It's not not off of a flatbed. Rolls down there, people scattering out of the way. Big deal, little deal. What do you think, man? I mean, I'm watching this still go down the street. Yeah, and it's still can, going. You man. can see it almost snowball and pick up momentum as it yeah. goes down there. I'm not sure if it hit anything. Those are really big coils. And I was I was reading a thread on Reddit recently, a trucker thread, and they were they were looking at these coils from a, a flatbedder's perspective. But they were yelling about how look, and those too. I that mean, came I don't know out if, of a van. I, did they put those there though? Because they didn't they didn't want to go through the hassle of chaining properly on a flatbed and making it. Because with those, you got to put a chain through each yeah. each wheel, and you yeah. can't string them through each other because when they move. That will put that on there. It looks like they did no, a they really lazy job. Yeah. They did a really lazy job in in the uh, the back of that one. So I'll say that's a that's a big you kill someone with that. Oh yeah, heck yeah, yeah. It, even even though that. there were plastic tubes around there, those wheels they're on are heavy. Yeah. Well, yeah. here's the last one. Local 12 reports Raising Cane's is sending corporate employees to work in its restaurants. Raising Cane is a chicken fast food restaurant. They are having their employees work in restaurants amid this labor shortage. Big deal, little deal. Big deal. Labor shortage is a big issue, and they should be doing this anyways. Corporate people will learn some stuff doing the jobs of the people that manage Hey, and these same companies, they got Amazon that they're offering $22 an hour plus $3,000 sign-on bonus just for holiday work. So this fast food shortage going to get harder. I mean, that's cutting into the trucking market as Absolutely. well, especially some of these new drivers. So labor stuff and Amazon, just like everything else, their huge presence just sucks in everything. Find me on Twitter, does. at Timothy Dooner. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Catch us Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at noon Eastern time. We'll see you back here Friday. How about it be? Peace and love. Spread it everywhere.